Welcome to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. When people are injured due to negligence or while on the job, they need all the help they can get. Doctors Armin Feldman and Mike Bummer help ensure they get it. Join them as they discuss the newest medical subspecialty of medical legal consulting. Learn how attorneys can gain a competitive advantage in PI, workers' comp, and medical malpractice cases. Armin and Mike can help you better understand the medical issues in your cases, leading to larger settlement amounts and the best possible medical care for clients. They can help save you time and increase case value, all without breaking the bank. Let's get started. Welcome to the episode. I'm Dr. Armin Feldman, and as always, I'm here with my friend, colleague, and partner in Physicians Legal Consultants, Dr. Mike Bummer. Hi, Armin. How's your summer going? Great. Uh, we're tolerating the heat. We just love summer, doing as many things outdoors as we possibly can, taking the dogs every morning early to the uh, dog park and uh, enjoying uh, this time of year. Oh, tell me about it. So my daughter is at a great age. She's in all these camps and we're running around and we have some nice vacations that we've been on. We're going on. Summer is super busy. Pittsburgh, it's a little bit humid, but mm -hmm. you know, I talk to my colleagues in Florida and I, I don't feel so bad. I, I feel, right. I feel kind of bad complaining, I should say, because <laughs> right. they're dealing with uh, record temperatures and, and yeah, but it's, it's been nice. And, uh, I think we have a good episode today, you know, but I, I guess before we start, mm -hmm. I think I would be remiss or we would be remiss if we did not thank all of our attorneys who are listening and sending in cases. We've, we've been very uh, excited to serve attorneys from all the different corners of the continental United States here over the past few weeks. Yeah, you bet, Mike. We really uh, appreciate uh, your trust in us and uh, the fact that you're sending us not only cases, but uh, repeat requests for consultations on other cases. So thank you all for sending in cases and, of course, listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's really been a lot of fun doing this. It's, it's one of those parts of our job that I know I, I look forward to versus I, I don't really view this as work. And it's fun to deliver. It's fun to help our clients. And again, should mention, we don't always mention, if you, if you have a case or a comment, you can email us anytime at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. And uh, we'll be happy to give you some insight, help you find an expert, or uh, you know, help you, what, whatever it might be on your personal injury or workers' comp case. Great. Uh, speaking of finding experts... That's what you're going to be talking about today. Yeah, so we have two topics. Uh, I would love to discuss the process that we go through as medical legal consultants to kind of a one-stop shop, expert vetting, referral, coordination uh, uh, work for our attorney clients and mm -hmm. quite affordably so. And I want to talk you through that process for our listeners. And then, Armin, why don't you just share the... Uh, rather than keep people in suspense, what you're going to go over today whenever I finish with that. Sure. I'm going to talk about causation and the traumatic causation of injuries and how to make opinions about that and what we routinely do. So regarding experts, medical experts, so all of our attorneys, whether they need an affidavit of merit for a medical malpractice case, 
whether they need to defend against uh, uh, wild uh, personal injury claims for, uh, or whether they need to prove up uh, the medical injuries of a case with a medical expert as part of a report that they're going to send to court or they need a testifying expert. Nonetheless, they need connections with, with appropriate, well-credentialed medical experts. Mm-hmm. And as a medical legal consultant, this has been a very rewarding element of, of the service that I'm able to provide, that we provide. And our process might not be obvious to our attorney listeners. Like, how could a doctor help me find another doctor? Maybe that's mm-hmm. something that isn't even that they would realize could be important. So, you know, number one, whenever an attorney, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example of a, of a recent case as I talk through this, but number one, whenever an attorney calls me and says they need an expert, the first thing I want to do is actually understand the case. Mm-hmm. I, do a, I ask for some of the key records, whatever they can provide, and I do a preliminary review myself from, through my medical lenses. And I had a case recently, and I'm going to go off the off the beaten path here a little bit because typically as you know Armin we serve plaintiffs attorneys and right. you know plaintiffs med mal or plaintiffs uh, attorneys for personal injury work and I was asked by a defense attorney to help them find a medical expert and I first wanted to take the call and understand what they were actually trying to uh, defend against what the the medical facts of the case were, and they sent me some of the medical key medical records. So then we had a phone call, me and uh, two of the attorneys that uh, were involved in the defense because there were two different um, parties involved with that required two different defense attorneys, and they described to me exactly what the issues of the case were. And in this in this matter, it was whether or not the uh, head injury could have caused years later could have caused multiple sclerosis in their client. And the initially, I had my own thoughts on that, but I am not a multiple sclerosis uh, neurologist, uh, but I had my own medical knowledge in packaged into that, and. They wanted to understand the uh, the causative effect of this. But whenever I'm finding other experts, and I've probably connected hundreds of experts with attorneys over the past few years, I look at whether whether we're talking about a standard of care issue, a breach of standard of care, whether they need an expert for causation, Mm. or whether it's it's just uh, key medical decision-making that they need an expert to chime in on. So that first initial preliminary review and conversation with my attorneys is kind of the the first thing that has to happen. And I feel like it really sets the stage for how I can deliver. Mm -hmm. Number two, I obviously have to locate the expert. And this can come in many different forms, whether it's someone I've used in the past. Uh, I've been doing this now for well over three years, have made relationships with dozens of attorneys across various specialties in various geographic areas of the country. Whether it's within our network, Armin, as you know, we have, and you've trained many of these medical legal consultants like myself, we have a network where we reach out and discuss whether or not uh, we have experts we've used that have helped in the various specialties. There are various ways to search online and try to connect. We review literature, 
publications, you know, what find, trying to find someone who's an authority mm-hmm. in that particular area. And then number, this kind of segues right into number three, where I reach out and contact and have a doctor to doctor discussion with the expert. You know, Mike, I, I, when I'm listening to uh, how we do this, one of the things that strikes me is this is so different than these uh, expert finding companies who basically just sign up experts and then send them off and uh, charge a, a, a good deal of money for that. And our process is certainly different than that. It's night and day, Armin. And my attorneys tell me that we come in way less expensive than those services who are really just sending an email or, uh, you know, like you said, signing up experts and then passing them on. Yeah. This is really a boutique expert (laughs) finding service and I enjoy it. It, it, It's not even difficult work per se, which is kind of makes it that much more rewarding because we're able to do it with such expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, so going back into the process, the that doctor-to-doctor discussion that I have with the expert is really to, A, again, vet their credentials, go beyond the CV that I have, and make sure that they are, in fact, practicing in this area. They've maybe done those types of surgeries recently, what their comfort level is, and then moving into taking the temperature of their opinion as it would relate to my my Mm -hmm. attorney client's interest. You know, our attorneys have many theories, many really good theories on the medicine of cases that they want to pursue. But if they don't find the right expert that jives with that theory, it can really hang up the case. Right. And so taking that temperature, understanding how passionate that expert is on that opinion can go, it could save this attorney uh, hours, months, uh, thousands of dollars on going through various experts to get that right passionate opinion, someone who's going to be a real champion for their client. And then step four is, is kind of the easy fun part. It's the referral. It's the connection where I will compose an introductory letter with all the credentials, I package mm-hmm. with the CV, the fee schedule. Sometimes there's even a negotiation of a, of a fee schedule variation because maybe the attorney doesn't need a, a complete workup or valuation of, of the case. Maybe there's just a blind read with a radiologist. Maybe there's uh, only right. you know 12 pages of medical records that really need to be looked at. And my attorney would rather not pay a $5,000 retainer. So I can kind of play middleman and and work out kind of a, a boutique review charge for my attorney saving them money make i make this referral and whether it's by text message by email i've done whatever my attorneys ask for Mm -hmm. and then armin i step out of the middle and i let them go to work and move the case forward yeah i think that's great that we uh, outline that because i think as i said it's so much different than uh, the standard expert finding company well thank you for doing that and Uh, Let me jump into what I had for today, and uh, this will go back to the 99% of our clients being uh, personal injury and claimant attorneys. Uh, So I thought we've mentioned causation in past episodes, but we really haven't delineated it, really haven't outlined it. 
So we know, Mike, and our listeners know that causation is often disputed. And the basis for the dispute is frequently without a foundation in valid science. For example, uh, a blanket proclamations that's a, a certain degree of vehicle damage, for example, is required to cause an injury, or that we've heard this, that all injuries must resolve within a certain period of time. And other disputes can be even more esoteric and sometimes even what we would say uh, incredulous, right? Yeah, well, and, and it serves, typically it serves the defense narrative that, for instance, all concussions, all concussive symptoms should be resolved within 12 months, if that's the type of thing that you're getting at. Yeah, right, exactly. So we also know that uh, typically that doctors don't address causation in their hospital or op notes uh, in cases because it's not usually an important issue with regard to the patient's care. And the same, of course, can be said of treating doctors regarding their office notes. So in almost every medical summary report that we write, we will include our opinion uh, about the traumatic causation of injuries. Uh, in fact, writing about causation is really the cornerstone to us writing a great medical summary report for our attorney clients. So uh, let, I was going to go on and uh, give an example, but uh, before I do that, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, actually mention that uh, there is a book put out by the AMA. It's the AMA Guide to Evaluation of Disease and Injury Causation. And the chapter three is titled Causal Associations and Determination of Work Relatedness. And in this causation chapter, the authors give five criteria. I won't go into the specifics, but five criteria that a physician can use to determine causation. So in our opinion, the advice in the AMA book it might be really good, but I think it's impractical and not concise and formulaic enough for a good forensic report that's being read primarily by lay people. Exactly. Yeah. So um, in my opinion, and uh, apparently the opinion of judges around the country, there uh, is a set of criteria that is outlined in the medical literature by Freeman and his group. And those criteria are felt to be clear and concise. And actually, a case law in some states bears out that the Freeman criteria is a valid method to assess causation. Now, there are actually two seminal papers by Freeman and his group that we usually rely on. And I want to let our listeners know, uh, if you would like the references to those papers, send us an email. As Mike said, send us an email to comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Okay, let me briefly uh, get into the case. 
So this is a case of a 51-year-old man who was the properly restrained driver of his pickup truck, and he was stopped in traffic when he was rear-ended by the offending vehicle. Now, the crash, this was, uh, there was a lot of damage. So the, the crash uh, resulted in a damage to the pickup's rear end and also uh, the uh, pickups, the side of the uh, side panels uh, of the, uh, of the truck. And there was also a fair amount of damage to the offending vehicles, front bumper, fender and lights. Now the client estimates that his truck was pushed approximately 10 feet forward as a result of the impact. And the client said that he, he, after the crash, he felt, quote, shaky. He remembers, and I'm quoting here, my whole body snapped forward and back. And as he was restrained by the shoulder harness, he felt an immediate severe sharp pain in his shoulder. So he was subsequently diagnosed with a left rotator cuff tear, and he was diagnosed later with a thoracic outlet syndrome that the doctors felt was secondary to the shoulder harness uh, being thrown forward against the shoulder harness. Now, We've talked about thoracic outlet a little bit in some past episodes, but thoracic outlet for our listeners who aren't physicians involves compression of the nerves, arteries, and veins in the lower neck and the upper chest area, particularly over a complex of nerves in the upper chest called the brachial plexus. So the interesting thing is that opposing counsel was arguing that, wasn't arguing the fact that he had a thoracic outlet syndrome, but he, they were arguing that the thoracic outlet syndrome was unrelated to the auto crash. And they said it was actually due to repetitive movements at work, which, Mike, it turned out to be that as part of this man's job, he uh, intermittently he had to throw uh, boxes onto a mm-hmm, truck. Mm-hmm. And when I was interviewing the client, he made it quite clear that not only was this something that he did on occasion, not regularly, but he had no previous symptoms that he had along with his thoracic outlet syndrome, which included neck pain, and he also had pain down his arm and some numbness down his arm. So we were asked to give a causation opinion and going back to the Freeman criteria, the first thing that they say, the three criteria that must be met. First, there must be a biologically plausible or possible link between the exposure and the outcome. And Mike, I think this is really critical uh, because they really emphasize the idea that there, the a thing that's causing this traumatic injury, it's got to be plausible. Mm-hmm. It's got to have a, a biological, 
plausible explanation. So scientific, like, it has to be a scientific way of proving it, not just a, uh, oh, the, 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 the injured party says this started at this time. It needs to be proven in, in a scientific fashion. Right. And what we try to do is back that up with evidence from the literature. So with regard to that first criteria, what I wrote in my report is uh, the client had been thrown forward with a great deal of force in the auto crash, which was the exposure, and that was followed by the immediate onset of the thoracic outlet syndrome, which was objectively diagnosed by an EMG, uh, electromyography. Uh, and the symptoms included persistent neck pain and numbness in the left arm, which was the outcome. And then I followed that by saying it, it is well accepted in the medical literature that these two symptoms are common to thoracic outlet syndrome. So that took care of criteria number one. The second criteria is that there must be a temporal relationship between the exposure and the outcome. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, what's kind of interesting uh, about that uh, is that, uh, first of all, that you have to be able to attribute the injury and the symptoms of the injury to the auto crash. Now, the only uh, that it follows it in a uh, in immediate fashion or, or shortly thereafter the crash. Now, the only exception to that is when there are previous symptoms uh, that get materially worsened by the crash. Mm -hmm. um, and they also make the point that it doesn't necessarily, it, it has to be within a reasonable time frame. So sometimes uh, there might be a crash and the symptoms don't show up, say, for a month later. But there's nothing in the, that month's time that uh, temporally could account for this other than the auto crash. Mm -hmm. So uh, in this case, what I said is the client had been thrown forward with a great deal of force in the auto crash, which was the exposure, uh, and it was followed by the immediate onset of the thoracic outlet uh, uh, syndrome. And at the time of the client's diagnosis of thoracic outlet syndrome, which was the outcome, uh, the only immediate event was his involvement in the auto crash. The client never complained of the symptoms until being violently restrained by the seat belt and sh shoulder harness. Then that third criteria states that there must not be a more likely or probable explanation for the symptoms. Uh, and again, this goes back to really making an effort to have a scientific basis to what's contributing to our opinion with regard to traumatic causation. So what I said in this case is the client never complained of these symptoms until being violently restrained by the seatbelt and shoulder harness. The client did not suffer any other injuries to his head, neck, shoulders, or back. He was not in any type of personal situation, accident, activity, or participant sport that could have directly caused the onset of his thoracic outlet sy syndrome. 
I go on to say there was nothing in the client's medical history or daily activities that something other than the auto crash, which was the exposure, precipitated his symptoms of neck pain and neck and uh, arm numbness related to the thoracic outlet syndrome. Yeah, that makes it scientifically clear. Right. So we have used the Freeman criteria uh, umpty, umpty times, right? And I use it in every every report, every medical summary, uh, comprehensive medical summary report that we use on these crash cases. It is a standard part of my my reports, yes. Right, and the interesting thing is these opinions that we base on these criteria, they really hold up. They hold up in the negotiation for a settlement uh, and, and those cases that have to be taken to trial, uh, they're holding up at trial as well. So we think it's a, a great uh, piece of scientific uh, work that Freeman and his group did uh, and something that uh, we can and other physicians can rely on to have a real scientific ba basis for our medical opinions regarding traumatic uh, causation of injuries. Thank you so much for uh, going through that for us, Armin. Yeah, of course. Excellent. Well, should we wrap it up there today? Yeah, let's wrap up. So uh, if, uh, if you have a, a case, if you have a question, as we've said, you can reach us at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. I also want to thank uh, all of our listeners and let you know that, as I've said in past uh, podcast episodes, our numbers continue to go up, and we really uh, appreciate your telling your friends and colleagues. So we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Physicians Helping Attorneys Helping People. For more information about the show and to listen to all the podcast episodes, go to physicianshelpingattorneys.com. You can also email Armin and Mike at comments at physicianshelpingattorneys.com. Thank you.